But anyway, it's great to be together today. I want us to talk about, we talked about the church last Sunday from a particular perspective and talked about how we need to be focused as to our identity as the church and our individual responsibilities of dedication and active involvement in and service in the church. We, it, it's not the building, it's each one of us who make up the church. And so we need to understand that whatever the church is supposed to be, that's us. We're supposed to be that. Whatever the church is supposed to do, we are the ones who are supposed to do it because, again, we are the church. We are the church. So I want us to look at the church from a broader perspective, perhaps. I want us to think about the church, its identity. What, what is it when we might compare it to things we can relate to by way of illustration and comparison in the world in which we live and in the life which we live? Well, if you get sick, you go to a hospital sometimes, don't you? Now, most of the time, we try to stay away from the hospital, but if we're sick enough, if we, you know, we've, we've done whatever the doctor told us to do when we visited him in his office, or whatever a nurse might have told us to take as the doctor's prescription when we phoned the doctor's office, and nothing gets better. It just keeps going on, maybe getting worse and worse. Ultimately, we're probably going to end up in the emergency room, and then sometimes we're going to be admitted to the hospital. And... I've spent so much time in hospitals, almost, all, well, the vast, vast majority of it, visiting other people, being with family members, and so on, but I've been there as a patient a number of times as well. And we can be thankful for hospitals because of what they do for us when we are truly in need of that kind of care. So when we're physically sick and it gets to be serious enough that we can't treat it on our own, and that just by taking particular medication and prescriptions that the doctor might prescribe for us, we're not getting better, we go to the hospital. And they can give us more intense and more focused care, perhaps, than we can do for ourselves back home. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, I want us to read this particular verse of scripture. Jesus he, when he heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now Jesus is often referred to when you read literature of one kind or another, written by this individual or another, even a song, at least one song in our songbooks. The great physician is one of the descriptions descriptive kinds of identities that are ascribed to him. But Jesus did not come primarily to be a physical uh, physician. He, he, he did not come to set up a practice someplace and have office hours and people come to him and say, you know, I've got this ailment here, I've got this ailment there. That, that's not what, what his primary mission was. Although we know from the gospel accounts that he repeatedly healed people of their infirmities, either physical illness or maybe sometimes physical impediments, you know, handicaps and so on. But he came primarily to call sinners to repentance. The Son of Man has not come, as Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. We understand that. 
And so I want us to think about the church in relation to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But what was his application here? I had did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And in that particular text, he makes a comparison of a physical physician, but he identifies himself as the spiritual physician for the sake of our souls. In what we might ask the question, and I, I, I think a whole lot of people, they're so confused, or maybe they're just prejudiced in their minds against the idea of church, the church. And so people say, I, I can believe in God, I can believe in Jesus, I don't have to be a part of a church. Then why did Jesus establish his church upon this earth? Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Acts chapter 2. Why did God send Jesus as that being central to his mission if we don't need the church? Why is it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 that those who were being saved, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved? And why is the church described, identified as the very body of Christ? Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23, Colossians 1 and verse 18, and again in verse 24. The church is here for a reason. It's by God's design. And we need to understand that and respect it and understand that we cannot be in Christ, with Christ, faithful to him, and somehow not be a part of the church that he left heaven to establish upon this earth. Why is the church here on this earth? Why is the church here in Omaha, Nebraska? Well, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 again, the church is that body of believers who have come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily or day by day those who were being saved. As Matt read a moment ago in Romans chapter 8 beginning with verse 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the, of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus came to call the sinful out of their sins and into him for forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, great text of scripture. And it paints the contrast for it. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are offered to us as followers of Christ being in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. Now again, later in that chapter, verses 22 and 23, Paul identifies the church as being the body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ. And as we've just read in Acts 2 and verse 47, the Lord adds those or puts those who come to salvation in him into his church. 
So someone says, well, I don't need the church. I, I just love Jesus. You need to get back into the scriptures and understand that the church goes with Jesus. And the church is part of the identity that we need to understand as being in Christ. Christians are in the church. Well, let's move on a little bit. And we look in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. What happens when we come into Christ? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Paul brings out here. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's talking from a spiritual perspective. Now, people who have been baptized, and I've baptized a great many people over many years, you know, when they come up out of the water, they look just the same to me as they did when they went into the water. So if they were, if they were old, and you can put your own definition on old there, but I baptized folks who were, you know, in their 80s or so. They're still in their 80s when they come up out of the water. If they were a little bit overweight, they're still overweight when they come up out of the water. If they were young, if they had some other kind of physical impediment, that was still there when they came up out of the water, having been baptized into Christ. But spiritually, they are new. Their sins have been washed away by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Acts 22 and verse 16, Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus and said, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Spiritually, they're brand new. And so Peter sa or Paul says here, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has been made new. He has been transformed. He's no longer walking in conformity with the ways of the world, going back to uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, but he's been transformed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So we have been made new spiritually, and we have been reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You look at Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, and Isaiah writes for us, by God's inspiration and instruction, that sin separates us from God. And so if we're living in sin, if we have not yet been forgiven through the blood of Christ, our sin separates us from God. But in Christ, as we were baptized into Christ, we have been brought back into a right relationship with God because the blood that Jesus shed on the cross cleansed us of the guilt of our sins. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean, not imputing the trespasses to those who have been alive and those who have come into Christ? He's forgiven them made new, reconciled to God, forgiven of our sins, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that is a, 
an invitation and encouragement that we ought to be making to people around us throughout all the world. You need to come back to God through Christ. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He bore the guilt of our sins on his body as he hung on that cross. That we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's the fourth blessing as we come into Christ. We are made righteous before God. Again, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, how do we come into Christ? Romans 6 and verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Those are the only two verses in the entire New Testament that have the phrase into Christ that, that are preceded by the means of coming into Christ. And in both cases it says we're baptized into Christ. We have to submit our will to God's will. We've got to come to him his way. And that's through Christ. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And here the Apostle Paul lays out to us two times that it is, by, it is through baptism that we come into Christ. In Colossians 1 and verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence or the first place of honor. He is the head of the body. The church is his spiritual body. And Jesus told the apostles, gave them the great commission, and of course it's still our mission today as his faithful followers, as his body, as the church. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. Again, Acts 2 and verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. The church is the bastion of the saved in this world among humanity. And it is also that body of Christ through which or from which we are to send the gospel message throughout all of the world to those who have not yet become Christians. We're to teach the truth. Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 and 32, to the, to the Jews who had believed on him, if you abide in, live in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he identified in the night of his betrayal, as he prayed to the Father, what that truth is. It's God's word. He prayed to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, we come to learn that it is through the truth of God's word that we learn how to be saved in Christ. So now, brethren, I commend you, and Paul was speaking to the elders at Ephesus here, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He's talking about eternal life there, salvation in Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures, God's word, 
teach us how to come to salvation. But then it also teaches us how to live faithfully before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as his faithful followers, as Christians, as his spiritual body, the church. Paul goes on and says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It teaches us how to live the faithful life as Christians, as his church, because that's where all true Christians have been put by Jesus himself. So we need to respect the church because of what it is and who it is, and we are that church. And then Paul goes on and says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word also guides us, not just as to how to come to salvation in Christ, but to how to live faithfully before him and how to do the good works that God has laid out for us to do in his word. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul wrote, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There, notice that the word of truth, what is that word again, the word of truth, through which we'll be made free from the guilt of our sins? It is, John 17 and verse 17, God's word. Sanctify them through your word, your word is truth. And so here Paul says, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And he connects God's word with the gospel. They're inseparable. They're one and the same. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now people want, their, people want to be forgiven. People want to be counted righteous before God. Well, you've got to have your souls purified. You've got to turn away from sin again. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13 and verse 3 and again in verse 5. You have purified your souls. How? In obeying the truth. Through, what truth? When Peter was asked and the rest of the apostles on Pentecost, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, let's simply submit our will to God's will. Let's simply make up our minds, I'm going to come to God his way through Jesus. I'm going to be baptized into him. Through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How did he say we're born again? Through the water and the Spirit. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God has given us the roadmap. He's given us the guidebook. He's given us, if you want to think of it that way from our culture uh, contemporarily right now, the self-help manual. But we've got to, to, to follow those teachings completely. We've got to follow those teachings faithfully and dedicated and obediently because God's word guides us. Now, so that kind of helps us understand God's way for us to come to him. Now, here's where the church figures into this whole scenario. Why is the church here on this earth? Why is the church here in Omaha, Nebraska? Because 
The church is that body of the saved who are to go into all the world and preach the gospel message of salvation to everybody, everywhere, in every generation. Jesus said most people are lost. Most people, and that's something that needs to sink into our brains. It needs to sink into the brains of a whole lot of people who think they're just fine with God, but they're living in sin. They've never come to him, his way. They've never been baptized into Christ. If they have, they've gone back into the ways of the world. They're living in sinful lifestyles, but they want to convince themselves that they're just fine. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Now look at the contrast to the only other way through life from a spiritual perspective. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few, few who find it. Most people in this world are sick in sin, and they need a spiritual hospital. And that's the church by God's design. Jesus even went down, even went further a few verses down. In verses 21 through 23, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or those who would claim to believe in him shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The church, spiritual hospital for sick souls, we've got to teach the truth, not something that sounds good, that feels good, that's going to make people feel good in the lifestyle they're already living, even if it's not in conformity with God's word, we need to teach the truth. He who does the will of God, uh, the will of my Father in heaven. So, what again, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, follows those teachings that he has given us in his word. Many will say to me at that day, Lord, Lord, have we not have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not prophesied in your name? And done in many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them. Now there are people out there who claim to be followers of Christ, claim to believe in Jesus, who think they've done some really good things in his name as his believers. And he says to them, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. You were never with me. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 21 is the key. Not everyone who calls him Lord is going to be in heaven, but those who follow him according to his teachings, those who conform to the will of the Father and are faithful to his word, those will be in heaven. In Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. In Galatians chapter five, or chapter 3 and verse 22, Paul said again, the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Without Christ, we're lost in sin. Outside of Christ, we're lost in sin. To get into Christ, we have to simply, in love, in respect, in faithfulness, say, I'm ready to obey your will, your teachings. I'm ready to be baptized into Christ. 
so that the blood that you shed on the cross can cleanse me of the guilt of my sins. Look at the church again. The spiritual hospital for sick souls. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Another way it's described. Paul says, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how, to, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, how can we read that verse? The church is the house of God, not this, this, this building, but us. In John chapter 14 and, and, and verses 23 and 24, John wrote that as we come to God, then he makes our, his home within us. Now, however that happens, that's open for discussion, but the fact that he says it happens is what we need to pay attention to. In the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, the church is here to spread the truth of God's word through which people can be forgiven and redeemed, saved, and sanctified, and look forward to eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, and then we'll drop down to verses 10 and 11, look at the mission of the church, the purpose of the church on this earth. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, Paul wrote, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, his wisdom communicated to us in his word, might be made known, might be made known, might be made known, that is taught by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which God accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church was in God's eternal plan. And so how can we say, who are we to say, I don't need the church? The church is here as that spiritual hospital for sick souls. So when Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. We need to teach because people are lost and they need to hear that message of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Luke recorded that great commission in Luke 24 and verse 47. Jesus speaking, saying that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And the church is supposed to teach that. And the church is not just the preacher and the elders and the deacons. The church is every single one of us who has been baptized into Christ. We are the church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, Since in the wisdom of God the world did not know, did not know God, the world through wisdom did not know God, that is through its own wisdom, worldly wisdom, it pleased God through the message preached, through the foolishness of the message preached, and some people think preaching is a lot of foolishness. I don't need that. God's plan is through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's why Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel or teach the gospel to all creation. In Acts 2 and verse 47 again, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved as they heard the message taught. 
Ephesians 4 and verse 24, that you put on the new man. Oh, you've been healed spiritually. You've been made new spiritually. Put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness through the gospel. Second, at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, made new. How many times have we gone to the doctor or maybe somebody come out of the hospital and they said, yeah, I feel like a new person. What I was struggling with for so long, the aches, the pains, the, the illness feeling, it's gone. From a spiritual perspective, far more important, that's in Christ Jesus. That's as we are baptized into him. Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And chapter 2 and verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might, be, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. Do you get that? As we are baptized into Christ, as he adds us to his church, his body, as we take on that identity of true Christianity, we become a new creation. We've been saved through the washing of regeneration, and that's being made new. We've been born again, and we've been healed, healed spiritually. And that's the message the church is to proclaim everywhere every day until the Lord comes again. We can help others see how they can change their lives. That's we as the church and get well spiritually. Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off Put off concerning your former conduct. You can't still live that way. Put off your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed, made well in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, the healed person spiritually. Which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have been given a glorious, truly glorious identity. Now let's not take it for granted. A glorious identity. And we've been given a wondrous and glorious mission to lead sin-sick souls to spiritual healing and to salvation in Christ, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you need to be baptized into Christ so that you can be healed spiritually, forgiven of your sins, 
regenerated, made new, cleansed, saved. We encourage you to take that step to be baptized into Christ this very morning. If you need the prayers of the church, we encourage you, please step forward and let us know. Or talk with us privately so we can pray with you and for you. If you say, I, I, I think I need to study some more, please tell us and we'll make that happen. The church, the spiritual hospital for sick souls. And as the Lord heals those souls through forgiveness, through his blood, contacted in baptism, he puts those healed, saved souls in his body, the church. Spiritual hospital for sick souls. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.